On this episode, we are joined by Bart Lundy, head men's basketball coach at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. We talk to Coach Lundy about being a head coach at 25, improving player academics, Division II basketball, and much more. As always, thank you for listening to the Afternoon Timeout Podcast. All right, Coach, so we like to start every episode with the opening tip. Um, for you, we wanted to start off uh, for when you were an assistant and you were, you know, those first few years and you're preparing for that first head coaching job, um, you know, whether it was at Winthrop or Queens. Um, and then, you know, what were some things you kind of prepared for before you were a head coach for the first time? Ooh, um, you know, I, I became a head coach. I was still 25. So I don't know that I uh, how I was preparing to be a head coach. I was recruiting players, and um, you know, I was when I was at Winthrop, I was the restricted earnings coach. If you guys remember that position years ago, um, which I was very restricted, and I actually made more money off of the uh, the the class action lawsuit than I did when I was actually working there. Uh, which still wasn't much, but, um, but I, I was 25 and uh, the guy I was working for is really good coach. Dale Lair um, left and went to Colorado state and uh, I was already losing my hair. So they didn't know. I don't think they knew exactly how old I was. So that first year I was on double uh, secret interim probation as head coach. And uh, <laughs> I went, I think we won 25 games and they hadn't had any choice, but to keep me, but, uh, really, that first time I was I was just holding on for dear life. You know, I I thought I knew stuff, but um, it was you know I threw my best player out of the very first practice I ever had. Um, you know, uh, just uh, you know, I, I look back at that at that guy. Um, I was probably just crazy enough to pull it off, um, but uh, way way different now and. So, yeah, I'd like to tell you that I had all these uh, intricate uh, preparations that I that I did. But uh, luckily, I'd done some good recruiting as an assistant and had good players that helped me through it. Well, and then the second part, Todd and I kind of wanted to follow up. So, you know, you were a head coach and then you kind of went back to be an assistant at both Marquette and North Texas, which we'll talk about those experiences later. But was there anything you learned that second time around as an assistant that you know, when you became a head coach again, you might have done differently or changed or something that you learned that made you feel made you feel better as a head coach. Kind of maybe what did you learn from those experiences? Yeah, I, I would say that the second time around, I was completely different. Um, uh, the 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 um, the fact that I got a head coaching job when I was 25 was was a blessing and a curse. Um, you know, obviously everybody wants a chance and it's an opportunity and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that for anything, but, uh, there were a lot of things I didn't understand. Um, you know, and I was a division two player and then, you know, Winthrop was a low division one, um, but then division two assistant. Uh, and then I got the high point job with, at 31, which is division one head coaching job. Uh, and I knew the basketball part. I was I was fine with that, and really the recruiting, but uh, all the other stuff that swirls around being a being a, a head coach, uh, I, I struggled with. And um, 
you know, going to Marquette and, and, and especially, you know, watching Buzz, how, how Buzz handled all the other stuff, you know, off the court and how he, how he handled the players too. Um, you know, I was still in the mode of, Hey, I'm the coach, you're the player, you do what I say. Um, you know, the kind of old school, old school way of thinking. Uh, but then watching him with uh, the alumni and the boosters and, and, uh, uh, I always tell people the narrative coming out of his program. You know, he he the the messages that go out, he scripts and he knows, you know, what he wants that to look like. And uh, I think when I was a, a an early young head coach, I just thought, hey, I'm gonna go win games and that'll be enough. Um, but it today's in today's world, that's not enough. It's it's much more than that. And uh, those are really the things that I learned. All right, so I want to take it to recruiting here. Um, you've recruited all over, very different areas, very different different places. Um, so maybe what are some of the uh, similarities wherever you're recruiting? And then maybe how do you adjust to, you know, each area? Is there is there certain things in each area that kids are looking for? Or do you have to talk about different things? Um you know, in each area, you know, because uh, obviously uh, Wisconsin's different than Texas and wherever, wherever it may be. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm just now really um, when I was at when I was at Marquette, I didn't do a lot of recruiting in Wisconsin. Uh, so I'm, I'm really getting to, to know the lay of the land uh, here in the state. Um, but I think each place is different. You know, when you're in Texas, uh, you've got you can go to a different gym every day and see and see a good player. And a lot of times a player, nobody knows about, um, and they've got these, uh, these activity, you know, it's all fueled by football, but they've got these activity periods. So you can literally bounce to four or five high schools in a day and see their four or five kids play. Um, so, so the, the recruiting there is kind of endless. Um, I always tell people, you know, the North Carolina, I think, you know, I had grown up, you know, in the state and, you know, played for half the coaches and know, know all the, everybody, all the players. And, um, but there are the more high school kids in the city of Houston than in the state of North Carolina, if you can process that. Um, so, you know, just being into Houston, like if you want to get into Houston, like that's a whole deal. You know, you gotta you gotta say I, I'm gonna recruit Houston or I'm not because it's so big. Um, and then you get to I get up here to Wisconsin, and um, you know there are there's not the volume of players, but uh, man, you got these these kids that are up in the middle of nowhere, up you know coming out of a to me like an igloo, and they can ball, you know. But you got to get up there and find them. Uh, so. You know, very, very different. And, you know, obviously each place is a different cell. You know, I'm, I'm learning, you know, what kind of kid likes Milwaukee. You know, it's a city school. It's, you know, 24,000 students. Um, you know, that sounds good, but it's not for everybody. Um, so, you know, each place is a different cell as well. That perfect lead into my second part of that question. Um, kind of what goes into making a player eventually, you know, make that final decision. Hey, this is my home. Um, you know, 
as well as out not basketball, but outside of the basketball program too, right? Having them have that sense of community and feel like this is the place I really want to be. Yeah, I, I think the um, in my experience, kids kids know you know when they're when they're on their visit, they know they know whether this is the place for them. Um, you know, we've had we've had guys come and and I've done. Uh, 21 official visits in the last five months. So I can tell you how, how they roll, <laughs> how they roll. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, how they get along with the staff, the style of play, um, you know, facilities. But then, it, you know, it does come down a lot of times to, okay, I'm, um, I want to be in sports management. I want to be in a city. I want to be in a city that's got the NBA, that's got um, Major League Baseball, or, you know, I'm more, you know, I'm from a smaller place. I don't know if I really like the city. And, um, you know, that's good. I, I think the way we do it, we open it up. You know, we tell them we're an open book, and I only want you to come here if you really feel it, you know, in your heart. And this is this is what you want. So there's not a lot of pressure here. There's not you know, everybody does it differently and they throw out offers and they heat kids up and try to get them to pop and hear all those words. Like, Hey man, come here. If you want, if you don't feel like this is the place for you then don't come here, <laughs> you know, I'm, I will, we'll find players. It's, it's okay. Um, but it, you know, you think about it and the enormity of that decision, you're probably going to end up living there or somewhere close to there when you're done. There's a good chance you might meet your wife. There's, you know, there's a good chance you, you know, that's going to spur on a job after basketball. So it's such an enormous decision that um, at least my approach is, you know, I want to give them the space to, to come and figure it out for themselves. So we have not talked about this topic with really any other collegiate coach we've had on, but um, something we noticed when we did our homework on you and your, your programs is, you know, you, you've consistently had team GPAs over 3.0 um, multiple times, no matter where your stops were. Um, so just to start off with this question, you know, what are some things you and your staff do to motivate, monitor, and encourage your teams to do so well in their classes? Yeah, I think uh, the first part of it is is you have to always keep in mind that that's, that's your mission, you know, um, your, your mission is to get these guys degrees. And um, I just literally yesterday typed an email AD because they were talking about, you know, this and that and admissions. And, um, but I think some of my biggest successes as a coach are the kids that uh, not one person in their family, their first generation kids in college, and not nobody in their family's ever graduated. And, they graduate and they change the trajectory of their, not only themselves, but their entire family and, and can be for generations. And so I think when you keep that in mind, first and foremost, when you're, when you're establishing your program, it becomes easy to put that structure in. And our structure is really simple. Um, you know, right now we don't have guys because we have a lot of classes, a lot of students, our guys don't start class until 10, which is really nice for them. We have a couple in not eight and nines, but, for the most part at 10. So they come in and they will, um, they have breakfast at eight 30 
and they have breakfast and then they go straight to study hall. And then we make them for the week, they have all their tasks. Um, and we, we do a common sense approach to study hall where, all right, these are your tasks and our work week is Sunday to Sunday. Uh, you're going to, you're going to get all your stuff done. Uh, and as soon as you're done with all your work through the next Sunday, then you can stop coming to the study hall, uh, whether that's on Monday or whether that's, you know, two weeks ago, we had some guys that were messing around and had like four guys that hadn't finished. So I just made the whole team do study hall on Saturday morning, you know? So it takes some discipline. Um, each of our coaches has, you know, three or four guys that they follow. And uh, we do have an academic, uh, uh, an academic um, full-time person here in the athletic department that works with our team. Um, but a lot of times those folks are, you know, nine to five and, you know, you, you and I both know it takes more than that to get their, you know, get their stuff done. So it's, uh, it, you know, it's just really just making sure it's an emphasis. It's like anything else that we do as coaches, whatever you emphasize, you're going to, you're going to be successful at. And, uh, you know, I think the, uh, at least in college, like we have set a, a bad precedent, um, you know, this APR stuff, it's because we didn't graduate our players, you know, plain and simple, you know, we can blame everybody else, but we weren't graduating our players. And um, I think that's a travesty for, for a kid to go four years to college and then walk away from his career and not have his degree. You know, that's a complete failure. Um, and it's not a failure of the kid. It's the failure of the program. And uh, I don't ever want to be in that position. And then maybe just what are maybe one or two things that you would say to even maybe just a high school coach who may not have all those resources um, you know, academic advisors and such and multiple assistants, you know, what would you maybe say to a high school coach as we have a lot that listen about, um, you know, how to just encourage your kids to, to get the grades? Yeah. I, I, I don't have a better way to put it other than um, guys who want to play. The only thing leverage that you have is ball <laughs> and, as hard as it is, um, you know, I have, I have a kid who, um, you know, we tier our guys, uh, you know, we have some guys that we don't really have to watch at all. Some guys we got to watch a little bit and other guys we got to, you know, we got to hold their hand and, and, uh, pick the spoon up and stick it in their mouth. And, uh, I have one, one guy who has plenty of ability, but he doesn't love school, you know, and, I know that the only the only way I the only leverage I have is is basketball. And you know, it's just really simple. Hey, you, you if you don't get your work done, you're not practicing, you know, and that and that will hurt your team. Uh, but I always think what you sacrifice to keep, you will eventually lose. So you sacrifice those little bits, you know, a practice, maybe even comes to you know, sacrificing a game or two uh with that player. Um, but if you don't do that, you're going to sacrifice something larger and, and you, whether you lose the player or they don't make their grades, they don't qualify for, you know, for college, um, you know, the, yeah, I have to use those things and I don't get, I don't get upset with them. I'm just like, Hey, you're just not going to practice. You're just not, not going to practice. And you're going to have to do this study hall. You can get your work done while we're playing basketball. And when you're, when you're done with your work, you can join us. And it's, it's pretty much as simple as that. 
I love the uh, common sense process study hall. I used to, I was the JUCO study hall supervisor for a while. That was, you know, I'm sure you know. Torture. It was, uh, it was interesting at times. Yeah. So, all right. So you kind of talked about your first time as a head coach. I'm going to tweak this question a little bit um, as far as the system, right? You said the first time you're kind of like just treading water, trying to make it work. Um, so now, right, you, you, you take over, you have that experience, you, you, whatever stop you've made, you take over a program. What went into you creating your systems on offense and defense? What kind of things did you look at? Um, you know, cause I think that's a great topic for any coach, right there. You know, we've talked to multiple guests. There's in Illinois, there's been coaching changes left and right. Taking over new team. Yeah. There's been a couple in the, in the last week, right? Season starts what a, a month from now. So what are the things you kind of look at initially? And then how do you decide ultimately decide this is what we're going to do? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, you know, taking this Milwaukee job and having questions like this a lot, uh, it's made me kind of reflect. Um, and, uh, you know, I look back at, at my roots. Um, uh, you know, I grew up, um, Virginia, but then mostly in North Carolina and I was a big Dean Smith fan, North Carolina fan. So I think, uh, I have always been kind of wed to secondary break. Uh, we call it sequence now. So um, I would say offensively, I've always been kind of a layers guy. You know, we're we're going to run into we're going to run into a secondary break, um, and then and then it changes. The actions change that we use um, year to year and with our personnel. Uh, but then the layers always change. You know, now I literally didn't decide for sure what we were going to do with this team in our breakdown offense until about three weeks ago. I was trying to figure out, okay, I got, I got 13 new players. You know, what, what do we really have? What can we do? Well, what can our posts do? Where can I put them in the right positions? Um, so I've done, you know, I've done some ball screen motion. I've done uh, the, you know, Brad Underwood, Dana Altman spread. Um, and, you know, this year we're going to go to to more of a four out one in, because I think it, it fits what we have and what we can do. So um, I, I think, um it's just developed over time, but I've always had those layers. I think some guys go, all right, this is my offense and it's one layer. Uh, I've always had multiple, multiple layers uh, and we'll do a lot of false motion. So we may replace one layer with another layer. Um, so it keeps you on your, on your heels. Um, and that's just developed over, over time, you know, losing to teams, having to change tempo. Um, I've always been pretty much, um, you know, an impatient coach. So we pressure the ball, we play full court, we play fast. That's always been the same. We practice fast. Um, and that's never changed. Uh, but what we do has evolved and morphed over time. And I, and I do think, you know, as you get older as a coach, you know, it really is. And, and I have some, some coaches that are my contemporaries that I've grown up with that disagree with this. Uh, but I think you've got to kind of stay on the cutting edge as you get older, because if you if you don't adapt, in my mind, you you perish. Um, now, some some guys are like, no, the old school ways are good. That's what I I'm going to go with what I know. But I, I I'm a I want to be a lifelong learner and and really uh, you know soak in as much as I can everywhere I go. So you kind of mentioned um, you know working for Buzz Williams at Marquette. 
Um, so just specifically, we'll just stay and and I heard you speak about Buzz and his impact on you a little bit at the IBCA clinic where you spoke, but you know, maybe for our listeners, what were some things that, you know, you learned specifically from Buzz at Marquette that, you know, you still use today, helped you grow, um, and maybe impacted you in a, in a way that maybe is not just X's and O's or recruiting. Yeah. Well, first thing I learned, um, I, I would say is the most impactful thing was his organization. Um, Buzz is a meticulous note taker. Uh, and he does it differently than I do it. I use these little, uh, I'm a, I'm a pen to paper guy. Um, and he is, a he's a calendar, um, computer guy. Um, but he has his logs. He can tell you what happened on this day, you know, six years ago and where the team was and what, you know, he, he documents his notes and his thoughts. And, um, I really, I really took a lot of that from him and, um, you know, now, you know, I've got on my sitting on my desk now where I do my practice plan, I've got, you know, four different years that I think are similar to the team that I have now. And where were we, where were we and what were we doing three years ago with that team that I think is similar to this team? You know, what, where were we stumbling? What was good? What was bad? Um, I'll go back and I've got red pens on my, on my desk and I'll make notes in red after practice. So I, I know what happened in the practice, uh, and then just being able to reflect and, um, and, and have a, uh, have knowledge that you, that you can gain from what happens. So you're not reinventing the wheel all the time. That was, he's unbelievable with that. And then, uh, and then how he, um, how he had relationships with the players because he when I first got there I thought oh wow you know you can't push players this far you know I thought I pushed players man he he is getting he's getting it all out of them and soaking it out and then wringing it out and you know and he he uh he pushed those guys hard I mean you know I, I might have said it at the clinic you know Jimmy Butler you know obviously this is Jimmy Butler and uh, has earned everything himself, but I don't know that there's a Jimmy Butler without a Buzz Williams. Was, he taught Jimmy how to work and and pushed him beyond what Jimmy thought he could do. Jay Crowder, same thing. Um, and those guys embraced that and became that. Uh, now that's who they are in the NBA. Uh, but uh, it, it wasn't just that he pushed them. He had a relationship on the backside, you know, what you don't see about Buzz is he's coaching them, and then he, at night he's texting them, and he's talking to them, and he's sending them little love letters, and um, you know, so so the 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 love, and then the the hard love on the court, um, you know, was something that was really really good for me to see. Uh, and then we already touched on it a little bit how he dealt with the program, how he dealt with the media, how he dealt with. Um, you know, social media, how he dealt with the boosters and the administration. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, that was eye opening for me. So, you know, all the stuff outside of just the X's and O's and uh, he's a, he's a master at it. So, you know, I, those, those three years um, learning from buzz and then being in the big East at that time, and how good the Big East was, you know, it was kind of like a PhD in college basketball. It was, it was, it was really good for me at that time in my life. So 
just popped up a follow-up question. You talked about the outside stuff. And I think, uh, you know, just based on the co- – that's what gets a lot of coaches, right? They're like, they yeah. always fall, and you got all this out, other outside stuff. Me and John talk about it all the time. Like, most of it's the outside stuff. You're like, the X's and O's part is easy. Um, so maybe – you know, for some of the high school coaches and even us, like, let's be honest, I, I could, I could learn. Right. Um, like what are some of those things you learn from that? And what are some of those things you do with, with that outside stuff to kind of, I don't know, I shouldn't say make it more manageable, but like, you know, have a focus on those things, but yet you coach basketball and not let those things get too overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to go through it and make those mistakes. Uh, but I, what, what I would, what I would tell coaches is, is this, um, if you're doing right, if you, you're doing right in your heart, uh, you, you just got to ignore all the outside stuff. You know, you've got to deal, you've got to be nice and deal with, uh, you know, the, you know, the parents and boosters and, you know, do, do the song and dance and all that. But if you're doing right in your heart, uh, stick to your guns and, you know, don't let people, you know, it, everybody's got an opinion on what you should be doing. And I think that's where you go wrong. You know, you follow, follow You're you're the one that's in it, in the guts of it every single day. And, and I told my, I told my athletic director this yesterday, just yesterday, you know, uh, I'm hired to do a job. Trust me to do the job. It will be better than fine. Uh, just, just let me do my job because I've gone down the the road of, Hey, uh, you know, maybe we should do it this way. And, you know, you get, you get confused and you get down and then, you know, what happens to some coaches and I've been there too. You, you lose a couple of games and you doubt where you're going with things. Sometimes you just got to push through, you know, you gotta, you gotta stay the course. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 the thing that buzz did so well is, uh, you know, he celebrated, I think a good way to do it is he celebrated all our little victories and he celebrated them not only with the team, but he let the world know, you know, I thought that, you know, before I got to Marquette, I thought the victories we get on the quarter are enough. No, the, the victories when some kid passes a test and makes an A and, you know, and, or, you know, when um, we had boot camp and somebody's MVP of boot camp or whatever it is. You know, you, you control the narrative and you put good stuff out in the world, let people know what you're doing. Cause most people have no idea what we do every day. You know, they just see the games and, and that's it. I mean, sometimes it's, you, you let them know a loss, you know, we, we had, we had a setback, um, but you, you control that narrative, you know, you, and you let people know, and, you know, just that, uh, that constant communication and social media is good for coaches if they do it right, because, you can let people know without actually having to sit down and talk to them. You know, this is what's going on. Um, and this is my view on it. Um, don't tweet back at me. <laughs> um, so you actually mentioned just momentarily, you mentioned Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder um, and, and you, and just doing my homework and whether it was even at Queens when you coached some guys that went on at the professional level, you've obviously coached a lot of great players um, for you, and this is another question we really haven't hit too much on with other coaches, but 
you know, what outside characteristics, you know, maybe outside of just pure talent, do you see in those kind of kids? Like those, maybe those couple common characteristics that you just see in those kids that you know are, sure, they're talented, but there's also something a little extra about them. What do you think makes up that little, just that little extra hunger or a little extra, whatever you think it is that, that separates the good from the great? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, I would say when you get to that level, um, it's, in my opinion, it's two things. Uh, one, it's, it's toughness and the ability to stay focused and work. Uh, and work and work to a high level and do it over and over and over and over. What people don't understand is, um, and I used to, I used to send my players at Queens. I try to get them over with the Hornets so they could see the way Kimball Walker would live his life. You know, he's eating breakfast. He, they've got, they've got food there. He's fueling his body. He, he is getting shots. He's watching film. And this is, this is day after day after day because you know, when you get to that level, like this is, this is what they do, you know, for a living. It's not, I think that people have the perception that they just show up and they're good players. Like they they are good players, but they're, they're grinding and grinding it. And uh, like guys like Jimmy and Jay have that capacity to do it over and over for long periods of time where other, where other people stopped, they could keep going. And then um, I do think that there is, um, there is a level of processing um, that that those elite guys have, uh, and and you can see it at all different levels. You can see it in the high school level. You've got a kid who, you know, he might not even be as talented, but he can process, and uh, and those guys process at a at a high high level. Like when I watch Jay play right now, um, you know his his ability to be shot ready, and then if he's not open to move the ball to the right place and process that at such a high level is instantaneous. And, uh, and that's so valuable in the NBA and it's so hard to find. Uh, so I think those two things, uh, and those are great examples because literally neither of those guys were anything in high school. J Jimmy was like 97th in the state of Texas. This is state ranking. And I'm not even sure Jay was ranked. He was ranked as a quarterback in football, but I'm not sure he was even ranked as a basketball player. So, you know, those weren't the, those weren't the LeBrons and the guys that, you know, you look at and say, God said, this guy's an NBA player, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, he's, he's six, nine, he jumps out of gym. He, those guys aren't that, you know, they're just grinders. And, but I do think they process at a high level. All right, so we're going to go uh, – there's a new segment called Halftime Adjustments. I'm taking liberties here. It's our halftime of our show. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk more end-of-game stuff here. So um, just kind of give you a situation or, you know, general situation, see kind of how you think about it. Um, so you're coming down to the end of the game. Maybe you're down a couple possessions. Um, the decision-making process of, okay, when do we start fouling? Um you know, when we start pressing, are we shooting twos or threes? Um, you know, is that more for you analytics based? Is it more field based? Whatever, you know, kind of how do that how that end of game process goes where you're like, 
okay, maybe we should start fouling here or we got to shoot a three here, whatever it may be. Well, uh, I will preface this to say that we, we pick up 94 feet and we pressure the ball constantly. So um, I am not a big proponent of fouling until I absolutely have to. And that is late, late, yeah. late, well, late. Your system, you're trying to get steals and pressure. Yeah. yeah. And, and and hopefully, you know, it's been 40 minutes of zigzags and, you know, you hope they're tired, you know, and they're ready to make mistakes. So I've had more success um, pressuring the ball without fouling and then letting the other team make mistakes uh, than I have fouling and hoping that they miss a shot. Uh, and then I don't, we shoot a lot of threes. But late in the game, we will not shoot a three until it is under 10 seconds and we have to, you know, mathematically, we can't we can't get back in the game unless we shoot a three. Uh, we're going to go to the rim. We're going to get twos and, and relentlessly try to get twos and then pressure you until we're back in the game. We're getting and, off, uh, off the clock. And I've had tons. Yeah. yeah. Now, if it's under 10 seconds, you're down three. You don't think you can, you have enough time to get a second possession. Like you, 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 you know, you gotta, you gotta take a chance on a three, but, um, but we will, we will relentlessly go to the rim. And, uh, and I drill that into our guys, like um, a similar situation is late in the shot clock. You know, we don't, we don't ever just shoot a three, you know, let's, let's go one-on-one and shoot a pull up. Like if, if we get late in the clock, I tell them we're either going to go to the rim, get a paint touch, get a shot that way. Or I'd rather them just kick it out of bounds and let us set our defense. Is that uh, those long shots? Um, you know, I think they're killers late in the game. And uh, maybe you wanted a more technical uh, answer here, but oh, not think, at all. No, that's yeah. That's I think those threes are just you. Just you know, it's a wish and a prayer, and um, you're just you're just waiting to lose. Well, and those long shots don't necessarily in your system let you set up your pressure, right? Like. Correct. Out there, out running, and you can't really, you can't really pressure that, and then you almost have to foul, right? If you're, yeah, exactly. So, Todd and I, you know, we we've talked a lot to coaches about, uh, you know, coaches that have had sustained winning, and obviously, you have had sustained winning. You're you're something I think we looked up something like four thirty three and one ninety eight as a head coach. But we noticed when one year in particular, we wanted to ask you about, and it was your year at high point, you were nine and 21. And someone that does have an an immense amount of winning, a sustained amount of success. What are things that you learned maybe about yourself and, you know, maybe about the team, but, you know, more about yourself as a coach in that nine and 21 year that you still kind of take today? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, this kind of goes back to your previous question. Like, you know, when you, when you go through those things, you've got those outside voices, um, telling you to do things and you make those mistakes as a coach. Uh, so we had, um, high point was, a um, it's a, it's a way different job now, but when I got it, they had just gone through the division one trans transition. Um, we, uh, we really couldn't even show the dorms. It was it was one of the worst jobs, Division One jobs in the country, and we had pretty good success uh, for a few years. And um, we had sprinkled junior college, some transfers, and high school kids all together. Um, 
I had a, an athletic director that uh, that kind of got into my ear and said, well, you know, maybe we should just do, we should just be high school kids. And we cycled out a really good class um, the year before that. Uh, we were we were picked to win the league and um, had a couple of untimely injuries, um, and we, we didn't end up winning the league. Uh, so I, I recruited nine freshmen <laughs> on that last team. So, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a win for each freshman uh, on, on the team. And I learned pretty quickly that uh, having nine freshmen on your team is really difficult to win in college basketball, no matter what you do. And uh, so um, subsequently, the, the, that AD um, was fired that summer before that year. New AD comes in. I have really my first, you know, bad year. And, uh, and I'm fired, <laughs> basically fired all the coaches. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, those lessons, you know, stick with me, um, to this day, you know, it's, uh, you know, you can't listen to the outside voices. You got to do what you think's right. Um, you know, we, we had a formula we were following that was, that was pretty successful. Uh, we didn't need nine freshmen on one team. Now, now in today's game, that would be unheard of with the portal and all that. Um, but you know, back then everybody's got an opinion, right. And, uh, we should have gotten a couple transfers and sprinkled a junior college kid in there with some experience and who knows what happens with that team. So, you know, that's, uh, that would be the lesson I learned. All right. So I want to talk about your D2 experience a little bit. We, we haven't talked about it. We haven't talked to a ton of coaches who've coached D2. We've been D3, D1, go whatever it may be. Um, you know, in Illinois, we know what kind of makes that unique. In Illinois, there's a in this area, there's a very spread out D two, right? Uh, um, yeah. You know, area. Um, but what are some of the things that made Division two level unique in comparison to the other two levels? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm kind of a D two guy through and through. I mean, um, I, I I love that level. It is uh, it is ultra competitive. Uh, you know, we. We had 10 scholarships, but you could stack the academic money on it. So I I literally would have, you know, 13, 14 guys on full scholarships um, at Queens. So it's really talent-wise, like if you look at the the talent I had there versus the talent at Milwaukee, really not a lot of difference. Um, now, you know, obviously you go you go to the high major level and it's, you know, those those guys are <laughs> those guys are different. Um, but but uh, the basketball was the basketball, and you know the the league and the region I was in, man. There's, you know, you're playing against really good coaches, really good teams, really good players. Um, so the basketball part is is super competitive, uh, but there is there is somewhat of a purity, you know, to it. You know, there's not there's not as many uh, outside voices in these kids' head. You know that there's not a bunch of people that are looking at those kids and saying, I'm going to make my living on, you know, on that guy. Cause he's going to, he's going to get drafted. And uh, you have that some everywhere, but uh, it is, it is more pure. Um, it is more academic driven. You know, I think, uh, you know, obviously division three, you're going to have a lot of high, high level academic schools. I, I was very fortunate that Queens was, was a high level academic school and we, and we had resources and, and we, we had a high level basketball program too. So um, 
to me the the level is is awesome um and uh you know the i, I love being at milwaukee and I, I i hit 50 and i wanted a new challenge um but uh you know the the d2 model to me you know if there are coaches out there considering that can't go wrong with it all right so um i want to move into kind of a a season long thing um you know, basketball season's a long season, right? Now, you know, at, at your level, you know, Does it ever end? somewhere, right? <laughs> Even at high school, right? We start, we start in yeah. you know October, and next thing you know, it's March. And you're like, oh man, yep. right? Um, so, how do you help your your players and, and assistants, and, and even you, from kind of not riding the roller coaster, getting too high, getting too low, right? Because you're gonna have those that two game stretch where you're like, oh man, we're you know, we go, we're not not playing well. And you have a three-game stretch where you're playing really well. We beat a couple really good teams. Um, so how do you help your players and assistants, and even you, again, not ride that roller coaster and say kind of even keel? Yeah, well, I've got a my, – my answer is going to kind of – it's two things, and they kind of butt against each other. Uh, but the first thing we do, we, we really do um, – try to try to preach to our guys like we're just going to try to do today right you know we're going to wake up we're going to work as hard as we can we're going to go to bed hopefully do or do, do things the right way that day go to bed wake up the next day and, and do it again and stack good days on top of each other um and that's and that's how we want to live day to day uh and then and then uh not worry about uh, i always tell them that old people live in the past young people live in the future the wise people live right now so we we try to we try not to get think about what's going to happen or what did happen just just you know if we lose a game we wrap it up by midnight if we win a game we wrap it up by midnight celebrate or or more until midnight and then it's gone uh leave it alone um in the last few years what i've really tried to do too and this kind of it goes against that a little bit but i've tried to focus on what's the most important part of the year? It's really those tournaments at the end, right? And I think as coaches, like we get these guys ready and we think we got to be, you know, in the best shape, in the, in the you know, best skills, all this when the season starts. That's really, you think about it, that's impossible. So can we, be, can we really focus on being our best when it's the most important? You know, you might have a rocky season, can you be your best, you know, in late February when the conference tournament's about to hit, when that state tournament's about to hit, um, you know, and for us, you know, we're in a one bid league, you know, it's, it's, it, it's great to win that regular season. Maybe you get the, the CBI or whatever the hell those things are called, you know, but everybody wants to play in that NCAA tournament. So can we be the best and our strongest and our most skilled and our most together in March? Uh, and I think if you keep that in mind, like you can get through those hard times um, and, you know, temper, you, you get a big win in December. Well, that's great, but you gotta be the best when it, when it means the most. Um, so that's kind of how we, we've kind of gone about it. Well, and you see that all the time, right? Every, every March, every yeah. high school season, you see it all the time. So I guess my follow-up to that is then you, you talked about, stay you know one day at a time and, and next day how do you help your players kind of off the court right it's, it's easier said than done right it's 
especially now, you know, you got social media, you go on Twitter and oh, so-and-so played terrible and, oh, they lost this team and, you know, or, hey, we beat whoever, you know, this, this high mid, you know, high major and you, know, you guys are awesome. So how, how do you go about kind of talking about that and helping players off the court to do, to get in that mindset? Yeah, this is, this is going to be a bad answer. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I like to, uh, I, I said this a little bit at the clinic. I, I like to our players to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. So we, we try to, we like to call ourselves a cult. Like we are, we are our own cult. And um, we, we really concentrate on our, our circle. And we have our own rituals. We, we do our own thing. We have our own, you know, sayings and our own language. And I really pump that up and, and make that important. And, uh, and I do kind of put them in the, in the mindset that it is us against the world, you know? So even when you're having success, like I'll be the first one to tell them, Hey man, like enjoy that now. Cause that dude that, that wants to be your friend, like we lose a couple of games, like he ain't care one thing about you. You know, your your core is right here. This is this is who we are. These are the people who are gonna be with you thick and thin. And and hopefully for the rest of your life, you know, you're gonna have these relationships. Um, so I just always try to uh make it as bad as that sounds, like I want our guys to to value this little group we have and understand that those people and those voices on the outside they don't mean anything to that group, you know, and they're going to come, they're going to go. And, uh, and we're still going to be here. So as we move into the last two segments, um, our first one, we always say uh, to our guests, it's called 30 second timeout, but it's a very loose 30 seconds. There's no official in your timeout <laughs> telling you to let's go coach. Let's go. Um, but it's your platform to talk about whatever you want. Uh, it could be about yourself, your family, your program, uh, something you want the listeners to know more about. Um, some some guests turn it on Todd and I and ask us questions. Uh, but whatever you want, the the platform is yours. Uh, that's that's cool. I, I I would say I had two thoughts. Uh, one that just came to mind. Um, I I think when you talk about this profession, you, you can't. I, the the best way to put it in my mind, you can't have work life balance. It's impossible. But you can have work life flow, and as a coach, you have to you have to educate the people in your family and the people around you about the ebbs and flows of your of your year of your time. Uh, and then you have to you have to also recognize that too. There are times where you have to grind for a long time, a lot of hours, a lot of days in a row. But when those times come that you don't. You, you have to give that time to yourself and to the people who are important to you. So I think work-life flow is kind of how I think about it. And, you know, I, I heard that a few years back and it's helped me to, to, you know, just become better with life. And then uh, the last thing I would say is uh, as a profession, I don't think that we support each other enough. I don't think that, you know, we support other coaches enough. I don't think that we support um, education enough. What, whatever we think we have in our system that nobody's ever thought of, I promise you, you stole that from somebody, you know, 
And uh, that guy, and this is a lot of years in this, that guy that you think is your your arch enemy down the street that you're competing against and you can't stand, and you can't stand how he is on the sideline and what he does, this and that. In about 15 years, that dude's going to be your best friend. So I just think we, we got to have keep our profession and other professions support each other better than ours do. That ours does. And, and I would really like to see us do that. Coach, I, I do have an interesting follow-up only, only on that topic alone, you know, um, to another Illinois coach and myself have talked about this and it just kind of spurned my thoughts about the college level. Is there anything in the NCAA, any kind of like mentoring program for coaches like yourself that have, have been a, a head coach, a, a, a coach for a long time? Is there any kind of program that can connect you to a, a first year head coach? Maybe that doesn't even know you um, because we have definitely um, Matt Monroe and myself and a couple other coaches have talked about even on the high school level of creating a, a mentor type program to hopefully keep people in the profession. Yeah, it's uh, the, the NABC has just started uh, a program like that uh, at the college level. And I, and I forget what it's called. Uh, but it's it's literally in its infancy, um, and I and I'm I'm guilty. I haven't partaken of that yet. I I try to help as much as I can. I've been a little busy in the last five five months, um, but uh, yeah, that's that's uh, I don't know when it was. I was on uh, the racial reconciliation committee with the NABC. You know, after after the George Floyd. Uh, incident and uh that was one of the things that came up is how do we how do we uh take young coaches you know we we have all these coaches that are coming up and they have nobody that's teaching them how to be a head coach and then they're the you know they're the you know whether they're a high school coach they're the most visible person at the high school if they're a college coach they're you know one of the the most visible person at the at the university well how how have we prepared, you know, lawyers prepare, Jay Billis says it all the time, lawyers prepare for their profession. They go through this, you know, rigorous training. Uh, and you got these head coaches that have never been through anything. They've just chased around players or, you know, you, you don't have any formal training and uh, mentorship is, is great as well. But how do we start to support each other um, and understand that we're all going through the same thing? You know, uh, I was a head coach at 25 and I would say that, Man, there was I didn't know who to turn to. You know, I had some news, but you know, you can't call them every day. And uh, you know, how do I how do I do this and how do I do that? Uh so yeah, it's uh it's something we need to improve in our game. Well, I even think going back to the previous conversation, the outside of the game stuff, right? There's so many coaches who know their stuff, but the outside of the game stuff, if you had a mentor, hey, how do you handle this? What's the best way to yeah. do it? Right, because like you said, you kicked your best player out of the practice. Well, maybe now you wouldn't do that, or if you had yeah. if you had a conversation yeah, with somebody, you'd be like, "Okay, you know, maybe we can handle this better." All yeah. right, so coach, this is kind of where uh, this is all the rest, but we get we we get a little uh, we we get just we just get fun. So quick hitters, random questions, answer it any way you want. Um, biggest difference besides weather from North Carolina to Wisconsin. Biggest difference, uh, <laughs> you took the weather, man. You can't take the weather. Well, uh, I, mean, I, I would say, I would say the accent. They, 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 uh, you know, 
I got to Wisconsin. I got to get it. I got to get the accent down. Um, you're not going to go, and they have, you're not they gonna have go all Brian more, Kelly on this. They have better beer here. They have better beer. Oh, there you Yes, go. they do. Yeah. Sure do. Yeah. 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 Like that. All right. So since you're now in Wisconsin, this is very important now. What's your favorite kind of cheese? Man, I saw that question. I have the soft. I love all all kinds of cheese. So I love I love Wisconsin, but I have the softest answer. I really like brie, and I and I have I have some. You you can go spicy with it. You can have it plain. You can you can go sweet with the brie. You can you can heat it up. I just think that you know it's 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 uh it's got a lot of. It's got a lot of function to it. You went, and you went Brie analytics right there. That was awesome. That's right. You yeah. did. You <laughs> <went> <laughs> analytics with the Brie. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, I, I mean, anybody who's lived in warm weather, it's probably an easy question, but 90 degrees or snow? Oh, 90, I'm from the South. 90 degrees. Yeah, I was going to say, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the easy one, right? You, 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 I mean, you've experienced snow, right? Like, have you been in a place yeah, where? Oh, yeah. I, I grew up uh, until high school, and my family really is from – the mountains in Virginia, oh, okay. uh, Appalachian oh, yeah. Trail, Blue Ridge Mountains. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I, know, I know snow. He's might not experience Wisconsin snow yet, though. Yeah, no, yeah. Three, three years at Marquette. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you were at Marquette. Yeah, you know that. Uh, I forgot about it though. I, yeah. I will tell you a story. We got off the plane. You know, Marquette. They fly private jets and all that. It's right. really fancy. Uh, <laughs> so we got off the plane one night. It's like two in the morning, and the and the runway's all icy. And I, I stepped up to the steps to go down. And you know that that scene where Rocky Rocky shows up in Russia? And uh, <laughs> I was like, this is just like that scene in Rocky. Like, yeah. Where's where's uh, uh it's not Mick, who's uh who's his who's the um, uncle? Yeah, the, the trainer. Uh I know what you're talking not about. Not so bad. Ain't so Car bad. Carrying logs yeah. over your head, you're you're good, yeah. Um, all right. So for you, um, you know, we were talking to you off the air a little bit about, you know, your five children. What's your what's your favorite thing to do? Maybe get away from the game. Favorite thing to do with your kids? Uh, favorite thing uh, might not be their favorite thing, but I love to be outside. So I love to hike and I love to go camping. Um, uh, I tell them that we're going to go take a tree bath. So we <laughs> <laughs> you know, they want to play. They want to play 2K, and I'm talking about tree bats. Uh, I, I do love to be outside, and I, I, I grew up outside. So. I was going to say, the inner Appalachian just came out and, and coached us now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the trail. All right. Uh, Netflix or Hulu? You know, I've never experienced Hulu a whole lot, but, man, my, my uh, I gave my mother uh, my net, Netflix uh, login, and now the only thing that pops up is a romance movie. So I'm... <laughs> you can't even find what you're looking for on there anymore, can you? <laughs> like... No, I can't even find what, what is my mama looking at. I don't know what uh, I don't know what to think. Well, that that's uh, like... no, I, I would say uh, I'd say Netflix. I don't know. That's like uh... not a right or wrong answer, right? No, I let my I let my mom and sister use my Amazon Prime. And there is a whole lot of things that I don't know what's going on anymore. So. <laughs> Some mistakes just keep giving. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So last one, um, maybe and it could be your D1 experience, D2, your, your experience as a player, your favorite arena that you've played in, coached in as a visitor. Man, that's uh, 
There's a lot of them. I, I love Madison Square Garden. Uh, I think that would be number one. Uh, when you come into Madison Square Garden, you get on this uh, on this huge uh, elevator. You can put the whole team on it. And I found out later it's it's that big because they had to get the elephants. You know, Madison Square Garden would have uh, mm -hmm. Barnum and Bailey for like months at a time, and they had to be able to get the elephants on the on the freight elevator. Uh, you go up this elevator, and then you see all the all the um, people who have played or performed there. It's all over the walls. Uh, we play here in Milwaukee in the old Mecca. That's our arena downtown. It's now Panther Arena. So I'm trying to get the city to do that here because it's really the same people who played and performed in Madison Square Garden, played and performed in the Mecca, um, yeah. you know, from Kareem to you know, Billy Joel, you know, name it, Beatles. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to do that. And then the other one I would say is most unique. When you walk in at Notre Dame, uh, everyone that you pass says, hello, welcome to Notre Dame which is a little freaky <laughs> after a while. <laughs> like a but, mind trick, uh, right? Yeah, Jedi mind trick. Yeah, but it's uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I would say those two places. All right, I'm going to add one. I just popped up with this. What was your uh, go-to move in your playing days? What was your go-to move? Like if you're going, uh, out, to play, you're going out to play rec ball right now, you're, you're playing a pickup game against some of the coaches. What's your go-to move? Yeah, so so I was I was one of those guys that right-handed but loved to go left. Um so I would say left hand in and out because I, I would I would I would slide and shoot it or I could cross you over with it. So I'd say left hand in and out. That's, that was my go-to. Well, Coach, uh, we can't thank you. To, this is an awesome episode. This was fun. Um, it was so much fun. Um, you know, it, it's great to to you know after seeing hearing you at the IBCA and then you know getting to follow up with you. A lot of awesome stuff. We can't thank you enough and appreciate it so much for joining us tonight. No, I appreciate you guys having me, and uh, you know, thanks for for what you're doing for coaches. That's it's big, it's big. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in concert with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Please remember to give us a five star rating wherever you may listen. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout and subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening.